Well, growing up, um, I began every morning with two words, lucky charms. <laughs> I love lucky charms, and if you, know, if you don't know anything about lucky charms, can I just say two things? First, you've been living under a rock all your life, you need to start living a little bit. Secondly, the only reason you buy lucky charms is for the marshmallows, okay? Marshmallows are amazing. I loved lucky charms. Well, my parents had a little dilemma because as the merchant boy clan began to expand over the years, and we began to consume everything in sight, everything that was edible, in some cases things that weren't edible, but we were hungry, so we ate it anyways. My parents saw that there was a problem. The problem was this, that they were spending more money on Lucky Charms a month as much as they were spending money on the electricity bill. So there was a problem there. So there had to be a change, and I remember it like it was yesterday, that I got up in the morning, did my usual routine, turned on the, the uh, cartoons, um, open up the pantry, and looked for my Lucky Charms, and they weren't there. They were missing. So I freaked out. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't freak out. So all of a sudden, I, I see this box to the left of where my Lucky Charms usually are, and it's a box that says, Magic Treasures. <laughs> well, it had some goofy-looking wizard Gandalf guy with mar marshmallows floating around him. I thought, he's not the leprechaun guy, but this will do. If there's marshmallows, I'm good. Well, before I offend anybody, okay? I don't want to offend anybody, but before I offend anybody, I want to tell you, I, I buy a lot of things that are Walmart brand and, and consume a lot of them. They're about two things a month, and uh, I love them, but uh, Magic Treasures is not one of those things. <laughs> You know, I open up Magic Treasures thinking this is going to be just like Lucky Charms. Wrong. The cereal tasted like cardboard, no exaggeration, like chewing cardboard. There's only about five marshmallows in the box. And um, eating those marshmallows was kind of like chewing gravel. I mean, it was a terrible experience, scarred me for life. Now I don't even eat Lucky Charms anymore because of Magic Treasures, okay? The, the, the problem, the problem here, what was the problem? The problem was that the exterior appeared to be what the interior was not. And this morning, as we enter into a conversation that Jesus is having with a group of people who verse 31 of chapter 8 tells us believed in Jesus, as Jesus is having this conversation with them, he reveals to us that there is a problem. The problem is that their exterior appears to be what their interior is not. Their mouths claim to believe, but their hearts are filled with unbelief. So here's the question for you and me this morning, and it's this. How do you know if your exterior profession matches your interior belief? Or to put it another way, how do I know if my heart is filled with unbelief? How do I know? And here in John 8, verses 39 to 59, Jesus is going to expose for us three characteristics of an unbelieving heart. Three characteristics of an unbelieving heart. So the question is, how do I know if my heart is filled with unbelief? By examining what Jesus says and examining yourself and, and asking, am I like that? So let's begin in verse 38. Go back just one verse. Verse 38, John chapter 8. Jesus says this. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Jesus has just told, for a little context, these Jewish leaders that he is the light of the world. We heard that last week. In other words, he's the Messiah, and therefore he is God's son. Now, this is a problem. This is a problem because, after all, the Jews believe that because they are descendants of Abraham, they are God's chosen people. In other words, their spiritual identity was more informed by genealogy than theology. So Jesus responds in verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. So the question is, what are these works that Abraham did? Well, there's plenty of passages we could turn to, but I want to give you three that maybe you could look up this afternoon. Romans 4, Galatians 3, and Hebrews 11. All of these passages tell us that Abraham was a man of faith. And it was his faith, not his Jewish heritage, Genesis 15 tells us, that God counted as righteousness. In other words, whereas Abraham lived by faith in God's word, these Jewish leaders are self-righteous and now a little ticked off that Jesus is telling them that the person they thought was their daddy actually isn't their daddy. Verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Obviously offended, these Jews turned to the oldest trick in the book, insult. They begin to insult Jesus by claiming that because Mary conceived of Jesus before she was married, he is a child of sin. But they, on the other hand, think of themselves as so pure, so clean, so righteous that there is no thought in their mind that God is not their father. But look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. And it is here that Jesus exposes the first characteristic of an unbelieving heart, which is this. An unbelieving heart does not love Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear for these Jewish leaders. If God were really your father, you would love me. And their love would be expressed in two primary ways. Trust in Jesus and obedience to Jesus. They would believe what he says and they would do what he commands simply because they love him. This is exactly what Jesus will later say in John chapter 14, verse 15. Familiar verse to many of us, no doubt. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. And yet, isn't it true that again and again in the Gospel of John and the entire Bible itself, primarily the New Testament, we find that there are people who will claim to follow and believe Jesus, 
as long as they get something in return. It was about six months ago that I had the brilliant idea to get my wife a puppy for Christmas. Brilliant idea. In fact, I think I have a picture of him this morning. This is Winston. Yep. He is a cat that barks, I like to say. And uh, about, about six months later now, hindsight, looking back on getting Winston, here's what I've learned. He's an angel on Instagram, but a demon in my house. The first two months of life with Winston was fun. He would chew up pretty much anything that was left on the ground. He barked all night, peed on my carpet, and chewed up some of my books. Now listen, I gotta tell you about me. You could chew up cords, you can eat my food, you can gnaw off my leg, but when you start chewing off my books, then we got a problem. So it wasn't until my wife and I learned the magic word that Winston magically began to obey. When we would say this magic word, Winston would immediately do what we say, when we say it, how we say it. You want another magic word? Come back next week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The magic word was treat. Oh, when I say treat, Winston magically becomes an angel. And he wants to do anything his master says. He loves his master whenever I say treat. And and when this would happen, I would turn to my wife and say, you know what he's doing? He's practicing convenient obedience. (laughs) Convenient obedience says, I will do whatever you want me to do as long as it's convenient and beneficial for me to do it. Question. Do you practice convenient obedience with Jesus? In other words, do you obey Jesus because you love him or just because you want a treat? Do you ever find yourself thinking things like this? Jesus, I'll start to take you seriously when you give me someone to marry. Jesus, I'll start to pray more as long as you give me what I ask for when I ask for it. Children, do you only listen to mom and dad when you know you're going to get something from them? Or do you listen to mom and dad because you love them and you want to please God? Or how about this one? Jesus, I'll start tithing to my church when I make more money. Side note, if you tell yourself that you'll be more generous one day when you have more money, mark my words. You won't be more generous, you'll just be more self-indulgent. Because money only makes you more of who you are. It cannot change the heart. And yet how many of us Delay living a life of extravagant grace simply because we believe I don't have enough. Oh, friends, we have more than enough. My friend, if you only follow Jesus when you'll get a treat in return, I want to suggest that you might not really love Jesus. Because as Jesus tells these Jewish leaders, 
if God were your father, you would love me. Verse 42. He says, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he, the father, sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Every parent's like, listen, that's my verse. I quoted that verse all the time, didn't even know I had to memorize. Why do you not understand what I say? Jesus is beyond being fed up. He has spent the entirety of chapter 8 telling these Jewish leaders again and again, God is my father, I am his son. God is my father, I am his son. And it's so clear and obvious, and yet they don't get it. Why? Verse 43. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Why can they not bear to hear him? Verse 44. Jesus makes it so clear. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now, at this point, we can just stop Step back from the text and realize Jesus has obviously not read How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> not in his library. I mean, could you imagine this sermon? Jesus comes up to the pulpit. The title of the sermon this morning is Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> Point one, your daddy is the devil. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> yeah, not a seeker-sensitive sermon by any means, it's so blunt, isn't it? But we have to ask the question, why does Jesus call them children of the devil? He explains, verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, just as the devil hated the truth and loved lies, so these Jewish leaders now hate the truth about Jesus and willingly embrace lies. In other words, Jesus is telling these Jewish leaders what the great theologian Buddy the Elf once said, you sit on a throne of lies. Verse 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And isn't that the reason why all of us in our natural state left to ourselves don't love Jesus? It's not that what Jesus is saying isn't clear or isn't true. It's just that it is true and we don't want the truth. Verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? This is the same question as verse 43, why do you not listen to me? Finally, he gets to an answer. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason, here it is, why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And it is here that Jesus exposes the second characteristic of an unbelieving heart, which is this. An unbelieving heart does not listen to Jesus. Growing up, whenever my parents would ask me to do something I didn't want to do, I always had a strategy. 
I always did two things. First, I wouldn't do it. I was a great kid. Secondly, when my parents would come back to me and ask me why I didn't do what they had asked, I would simply say the same thing. I didn't hear you. The problem here is not that these Jewish leaders can't hear Jesus' words. It's not the problem. The problem isn't that Jesus isn't speaking clearly. The problem is that they do not listen to his words. Listening all throughout the Bible, especially in the Proverbs, is often depicted of someone listening to the word of God, believing it, and responding in obedience. And the reason why these Jewish leaders do not listen to Jesus' words is because, as the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 6, verse 10, behold, their ears are closed, and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. To put it another way, you always listen to what you delight in. Always. Which means that in the church this morning, there are only two groups of people. Only two. Group number one are those that listen. These are the people that came to church this morning delighting in God. You want more than good tasting coffee, your favorite worship song, and a sermon you like. You want to hear from God. You eagerly think about what you're hearing. You examine yourself to see if you are living according to what you are hearing. And you leave this place with a desire to apply now what you've heard. All because you delight in God and want to listen to what you hear. Friends, can I just remind us that church is not about you and me? I'm going to say that again. Church is not about you and me. Here's why. There was a couple years ago in a former ministry setting, tried a church service, a dear brother, a friend of mine came up to me after the church service and said, Pastor, I didn't really like worship today. I said, well, brother, that's okay because we weren't worshiping you anyways. <laughs> and then I ran because he's big. <laughs> but can we just admit that all of us have some of that? Where we, we come into church and we think church is great if it pleases me. Can I just tell you the whole Bible tells us this, the only person we should be concerned about if they're pleased or not by this church service is God himself, not us. It don't matter if we're not pleased, if God is pleased, and if God isn't pleased, neither should we be. So the first group of people that are here this morning are those that listen, they delight in God. The second group of people are those that don't, those that don't. These are the people that came to church this morning for a million different reasons. Maybe someone invited you and you thought you'd give it a try and we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you came because you like the music or the people. Maybe you, you've always come to church so you came this morning because that's just what you do on Sundays. Or maybe you became because you wanna see if Jake Brothers ever stops smiling. He doesn't, he doesn't. <laughs> 
But at the end of the day, you do not listen to what you hear. And as a result, no doubt, you will leave today unchanged, unaffected, and disinterested. And my friend, can I just suggest, could it be that God brought you here today to listen to what you've needed to hear for a long time? Could it be that God brought you to this place, in that seat, to hear for the first time, you need Jesus? The Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you think that's me, let me just encourage you to keep listening because God wants to speak to you. The question is, will you listen? Unbelieving hearts do not listen to Jesus. So Jesus tells these Jewish leaders in verse 47, the reason why you do not hear me is that you are not of God. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Obviously offended by Jesus' words, they come out with an elementary school argument. Well, you're a Samaritan and a demon. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. Don't you love how calm Jesus is? For many of us, we'd be thrown in jail seconds later because we're punching somebody, right? But Jesus calmly just says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. In other words, I am God's son and what you do to God's son is inevitably what you do to the father. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus simply explains that he is not saying God is my father and I am his son to increase his followers. So much so that Jesus makes yet another audacious claim in verse 51. Look with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's amazing. Put yourself in these Jewish leaders' shoes for a second. So far, Jesus has just told you that you're a liar, murderer, you're deaf, you don't know God, and your father is the devil. Not a good day by any standard. And now Jesus takes it another step and says, oh yeah, one more thing, if you follow me, you'll never see death. So the Jewish leaders respond in verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. In other words, we thought you were nuts before, but now we know you're really nuts, so. Because the only reason someone would claim such a thing is if they were possessed by a demon. How blind is the human heart that Jesus can be standing right in front of you and you call him a demon-possessed man? They continue on. Abraham died, it's true, as did the prophets, also true. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, now, now pay attention, because what Jesus, look at verse 51. Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now the Jewish leaders go to quote Jesus. 
But look what they say. Verse 52, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. See the difference? Jesus never said that. Jesus said that he will never see death. There's a big difference. Side note, we must be careful to not add to or edit out the words of Jesus. We're all prone to that. Because whenever we do that, what we are trying to do, even if we do not realize it, is create a Jesus in our own image. A Jesus who begins to think like and act like us. For some of us, we want Jesus to be more rigid when he isn't. For others of us, we want Jesus to not say so many rigid things. But yet, the danger in editing the words of Jesus is what St. Augustine said long ago. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like in the gospel, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. You see, May it not be said of us. Verse 53, they continue on. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, you say that whoever believes in you will never see death. Well, let me remind you, Jesus, Abraham and the prophets died. So who do you think you are? Verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. In other words, I'm not just saying these things so you think of me as some great rabbi or teacher. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And it is here that Jesus exposes the third and final characteristic of an unbelieving heart, which is this. An unbelieving heart does not know Jesus. Even though they claim to believe in him, Jesus puts his finger on what has been the problem all along. Verse 55. You have not known him. Because these Jewish leaders do not know Jesus, they do not love him, they do not listen to him, and as we see in verse 59, they reject him even to the point of trying to kill him. And I want to suggest for us this morning that left to ourselves, our hearts are no different. We love ourselves. We are all in a love affair with ourselves. And because we love ourselves, we convince ourselves that we know how to run our lives better than anyone, even God. To the point of hearing the truth about Jesus and saying in response, I don't need him. The heart is a broken vessel, is it not? 
The heart is so broken that even as Christians, we experience a constant tug of war in our hearts because all believers are recovering unbelievers. All of them. We don't love Jesus perfectly. We don't listen to Jesus perfectly. We don't even know Jesus perfectly. And can't you admit that we know by experience that the human heart is so filled with unbelief that information can't change it? New behavior can't change it. And as a matter of fact, you can't change it. So here's the question. Who can? Verse 56. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is referring to the fact that Abraham in all of the prophets looked by faith to a day when God would fulfill all of his covenant promises. But now Jesus appears to be speaking as though he himself is the ultimate fulfillment of all those promises. So much so that he says, look with me, verse 56, he says, Abraham saw it. This, of course, makes no sense because it would have been impossible for Jesus to be seen by Abraham given his age. Impossible. This is why the Jewish leaders are confused. In verse 57, they rightly ask, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So what is Jesus saying? Verse 58. This is an amazing verse. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In Exodus 3, when Moses comes before God and asks for his name, God says this, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, listen, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In other words, Jesus is not only claiming to be God. He is. He's claiming to be the fulfillment of every longing in this world. When Jesus says, I am, he's not just making a statement. He's giving an invitation to every unbelieving heart to believe in him as the fulfillment fulfillment rather of everything they long for you know it's as if every one of us came to church this morning asking questions like this who can satisfy me who can cleanse my conscience who can forgive all my sin who can erase my guilt and rid me of my shame? Who can defeat death once 
and for all. Who can make all wrongs right again? Who can take my broken life and make it whole again? And Jesus stands and answers all of those questions at once with two words, I am. Jesus does not offer these Jewish leaders a system of rules and laws to clean up their exterior. No, Jesus offers himself as a redeemer of their interior. Jesus is reminding us here in verse 58 that he alone can take a heart that says, Jesus is nothing to me, and change that heart so that it says, Jesus is everything to me. And only he can do that. What I love about verse 58 is that Jesus doesn't just walk away and leave these Jewish leaders in their unbelief. He doesn't leave us in our unbelief. Instead, he essentially says, I am the fulfillment of what you long for. See, the paradox of the gospel compared to all other religions is this. That the great I am dies for sinners who believe great am I. Which should lead us all to say with the Puritan Thomas Watson, behold, what manner of love is this? That Christ should be arrested and we adorn. That the curse should be laid on his head and his crown placed on ours. What manner of love is this? What does this mean? It means that every Christian testimony can be summed up in one sentence. I am not, but I know I am. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. Will you believe Jesus? Will you today afresh, maybe for the first time ever, Come before the Lord and say, oh, I am not, but I know I am. Let's pray. Father, we need faith to believe what you have said to us in your word. So would you give it to us now as we come before you to respond by faith in singing. Would you help us to remember, for those of us who are believers, that it is nothing in us that causes us to be lovely before you. It is only because of Jesus that we can worship you and even have a desire to do so. And then for my friends who are here who have not trusted in you, Lord Jesus, would you show them that indeed you are the great I am and that there is coming a day in which every knee will bow and every heart will say, who is worthy? None beside thee. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.